Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Let me start with the Toronto Raptors. And they had their championship parade yesterday. And I got to say, that one was a little bit tough to describe. I mean, normally championship parades are pretty much all exactly the same. You've got people having way too much to drink, screaming into the microphone, and yelling things like, We did it for you! We'll see you back here next year! Cleveland! Now, that's not to say that Toronto did not have those things, because it did. It had some of that, and it had something else as well. It was awesome. Now, again, if you've got a problem with Marc Gasol dancing and partying on a bus, then that's a you problem, not a Marc Gasol problem. If you've got a problem with that, you've got a problem with you. Also, there are other things, scary things, bad things. According to police, four people were shot and wounded. Three people were arrested. According to Toronto Police Chief Mark Saunders, the four people who were shot are not dealing with life-threatening injuries. Others were injured as they tried to flee the area. So I'm not exactly sure how we square those two things. You have the awesome, and then you have the shooting. I mean, like, I want to play this amazing clip of Kawhi's speech. I want to quote Fred Van Vliet. And yet it seems really absurd to do so when there's a shooting. And I don't want to be the guy who says, well, shootings happen, and that's just a fact of life now. Because that's crap. Complete and utter and total crap. Shootings don't just happen, and they're not a fact of life. People should be allowed to get together and celebrate without being afraid of being shot. What I should be talking about today is Gasol dancing like an absolute legend. Now, if you're watching on CBS Sports Network... I should just have a B-roll loop of Gasol dancing and getting the crowd fired up during that parade. Not that they need to be fired up, but as pumped up as the Raptors fans were, they were not bringing it the way Marc Gasol was bringing it, and you've got to match that intensity. And when I'm done talking about Marc Gasol, I should move on to Serge Ibaka. Because it wasn't that long ago that Ibaka was getting crushed in some quarters. His reputation had taken a hit. The thinking was, the game may have changed, but he was not changing with it. And he was not making a serious impact on a regular basis. And yet, he came through big, time and time again for the Raptors. And then after years of work, he finally got to celebrate with an NBA championship. Quote, when I was young, I used to watch this on TV. I was like, man, I would love to be there one day. And look here. I am now. I'm just so thankful, and I'm living my dream, man. End of quote. I mean, these are the things that I should be talking about, that I want to be talking about. I should be talking about Kyle Lowry rocking a Damon Stoudemire jersey or Fred Van Vliet just being FVV. I mean, let's be real. While that celebration was really all about Kawhi Leonard and convincing him to stay, the truth is they're not having that parade without FVV. They don't beat the Warriors without FVV. And they sure as hell don't reach the finals without FVV going nuclear in the final three games of the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, easy to forget when he's dropping 22 in the title-winning Game 6, but this is a guy who had just 10 points in the first three games against the Bucks. 10 points total. But then it all changed when his son was born. 
His life changed. His game took off. So, yes, he deserves a championship, and he deserves to say things like this. You guys kill us when we lose. You killed us when we got swept two years in a row. So you better celebrate this for the rest of the summer (laughs) until next year. I mean, that is the truth. And, yes, you better celebrate this bleep all summer because the league does change in a heartbeat. I mean, this time last year, they didn't have Kawhi Leonard. This time next month, they might not have Kawhi Leonard. And yesterday was all about Raptor fans continuing to show their love for Kawhi, trying to convince him to stay. Now, I'm not sure they've gotten to a point where they brought a collection of D-list celebrities and local reporters and a weather person into a recording studio to drop a fire track like, Please Stay LeBron. But I guarantee if they thought that it would work, they would do it. I've always said this. When LeBron was thinking to himself, man, what do I do? What do I do? Do I stay? Do I go? Do I finish where I started here? Do I need to go someplace else to win a championship? I'm from the area. I was born here. Man, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You know, one of LeBron's guys came to him and said, hey, hey, Bron, hey, Bron, I may have something that can help you make up your mind. I may have something that can put you over the edge. Yeah, man, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I'm so conflicted. I can't sleep. I can't eat. I can't think. What do I do? Do I stay? Do I leave? Do I take my talents elsewhere? What do I do? Well, listen to this. In this fall, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach and uh, join the Miami Heat. You know, at that point, it was like, oh, hell no. I'm taking my talents to South Beach. Where's my man Jim Gray? Let's do this right now. Yeah, nice try with that. Bunch of D-list celebrities and a weather person screaming and singing, please stay LeBron. One of the worst ideas ever. I blame you people. He probably would have never left had you not dropped that fire track. Anyway, Toronto. Toronto is a city and a fan base that loves Kawhi. They want him to stay. But if Kawhi wants to stay, he's giving absolutely no indication Now, if Kawhi wants to leave, he's giving absolutely no indication. Speaking to the media yesterday, Kawhi said, quote, it was a good experience. Experiencing Mother Nature, all four seasons. Man, it was a great experience. Everybody off the court was great. The fans, just meeting people in Canada, end quote. You know, I hate to read between the lines, but that was a lot of past tense. There's a lot of was, not a ton of is there, which might mean that he's leaving, that is already behind him, that it's already behind him, or it could just mean that he's just messing with everybody and toying with everybody. Because one thing is clear from yesterday's parade, Kawhi is in on the joke. He is most definitely in on the joke and has been the entire time. For example, there's the fact that he was rocking a bored man gets paid tea. And then there was the way that he ended his speech to the crowd. I just want to say thank y'all for walking me here after the trade with open arms, man. It made my experience that much better. This group of guys let me do what I do on the floor. Coach Nick let me do what I do. And now we got a championship. Thank you. 
And like they said, enjoy this, enjoy this moment, and have fun with it. A ha, 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 ha. That is Kawhi Leonard doing the Kawhi Leonard laugh. Kawhi, doing an impression of Kawhi. It's like Inception. We have come full circle. I've got to hear that again. Run that back one more time. And have fun with it. A ha, 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 ha. Genius. Yeah. <laughs> it's genius. Board man gets paid. Board man gets jokes. A ha, 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 ha. Aha, yeah. Ha. Drop the damn mic already, board man. The dude on the last team standing got the last laugh, literally, and it was awesome. It was like he hit that shot all over again. And have fun with it. A ha, 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 ha. Yeah! A ha, 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 yeah! We're talking to Chris Harris Jr. Chris, good to have you back. How are you? What's up, Jim? Doing good. Good. Dude, it's your birthday. Let me start off by wishing you a very happy birthday. How are you going to celebrate it? Thank you. Uh, probably we're going to have a big dinner tonight and uh, just really hang out with the friends and uh, just really vibe tonight. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. All right, so earlier this season, or the offseason, I should say, Chris, you signed a new contract with the Broncos. What did that contract mean to you? What did you say? I'm sorry. That contract you signed with the Broncos earlier this offseason, yeah. a really nice deal. You earned that. What does that contract represent to you? Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, the Broncos, they just boosted me up this year to just finish off my deal and uh, um, just have a chance to showcase my talents to all uh, 32 teams and um, really, really go out there and uh, build my market. So what about that process? Was there any doubt in your mind that that deal was going to get done? Or did you think there might be a chance that you could end up playing someplace else? Man, at one point I did thought I was going to get traded around the draft, but uh, uh, it seemed like they didn't want to trade me. And um, from there on, uh, I figured that the deal would get done and uh, we'd be ready to roll come season. Hey, listen, we all love a night out, right? whether it's seeing your favorite band in person or being there in the crowd to cheer on your favorite team. With Vivid Seats, you can attend the concert, the show, or sporting event of your choice at a tremendous price. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all live events that you may want to go to. You can sort by price, or you can look for the seats in the section and the row of your choice. And every purchase is guaranteed by a 100% buyer guarantee. And every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee from the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more. Vivid Seats has it all. You want to download the app or go to vividseats.com. Once again, download that app or go to vividseats.com. Vivid Seats is the presenting sponsor of Smack Off 25. And remember, all Vivid Seats confirmed orders are backed by a 100% guarantee. So you will have an amazing and easy purchasing experience thanks to my pals at Vivid Seats. Chris Harris Jr. joining us. You know, there's so many different ways that you can measure your impact on the game, whether it's yards allowed per target, which is the best among all cornerbacks, or consecutive seasons with multiple picks, or your PFF grade, or any other number of the other methods. But how do you measure your impact on the game yourself? What are the types of things that you use to evaluate how well you're playing? Uh, my first thing is how many touchdowns am I giving up in a season? And, uh, 
uh, every year my goal is to give up zero and uh, to at least try to give up at least two or lower. But uh, being realistic, uh, since we play so much man and we're everywhere all over the field, but and just taking away the inside, taking every taking everything away from uh, offense, and that's something that I try to do. We're talking to Chris Harris Jr. You know, there. When you look at a deal like that and you put up the numbers that you've put up over the course of your career and you have the types of accolades and awards that you've won, is there any party that feels like, all right, I've arrived, or do you still approach it like that guy who was overlooked and undrafted out of Kansas? Oh, yeah, I definitely uh, approach it with a chip on my shoulder. Uh, just like like you said, uh, like I said, I'm in a contract here and I have a chance to prove to all, prove to all teams that what I can do and uh, – and uh, so I'll, I got a major chip on my shoulder to uh, continue to show people that I'm not falling off at all. Chris Harris Jr. is back here in the jungle with us. Now, the fact is you're not just focused on you, right? You'd be the first one to point out that the team has struggled lately. What have the last few years been like for you, Chris, as a competitor? Oh, man, it's been hard, man. Uh, we we uh, hadn't executed to the uh, level that you need to do uh, to win games in this league. And uh, I feel good. I feel uh, good about Fangio and um, what the approach that he's taking on the team just being back the last two weeks. Uh, got had to sit down with him for about an hour and, uh, and um, really plug his head and uh, get to know him. And I like him, so I'm excited for this year for sure. That's where I was going to go next, actually. You've got Vic Vangio taking over as head coach. So what's that vibe like around the team and especially around the defense now that he's in charge? Yeah. Well, it's about business, man. And uh, the thing I like that uh, he takes control of the whole defense. And um, he, uh, I mean, he's able to coach up every position and explain everything in the detail of how you need to do it. So everything's clear cut. It's no, there's nothing gray. And that's what I like about him. He's all about business. And I've had coaches like that before. And, uh, uh, I've been able to work great with him. All right, so what about the defense itself? Like in terms of your skill set and your attitude, how does his defense suit you? Does it feel like a defense that you've been wanting to play for a while? Oh, man, it's a, it's a, it's a perfect defense for the corner. Because especially for me, I can blitz. I, can, um, I get to do everything I've been doing and more. So he has, he has, a, he has a way to get his DBs a lot of interceptions. We've seen with the Bears how, I mean, I think they almost had 30 interceptions last year as a defense. So, I mean, uh, in this system, I definitely feel like we got a chance to everybody to get their interceptions up. Broncos corner Chris Harris Jr. is my guest. Now, you've got some time, but when you look at the opener in week one, you go up against Oakland, which means you're going to see Antonio Brown. I know we're still a couple of months away from that, but what kind of thoughts do you have when it comes to facing A.B.? Oh, yeah, it's just challenging them. I think a lot of people play with them, play against them with fear and know how talented he is. But uh, I think this is probably our sixth or seventh matchup. We've been facing each other for a while. So um, we're very, very familiar with each other. Um, he's had great games versus me. I've had great games versus him. So I'm looking forward to the matchup. Chris, you and I have talked about the Lakers in the past. How are you feeling about the Lakers right now since they have Anthony Davis playing alongside LeBron? Man, I'm so happy you asked me about my Lakers, man. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. You know that. Man, they have uh, definitely brightened my day. I was uh, I was extremely mad every day on all the talk shows. It talked how bad uh, the organization was running. And now we got AB. Now I got a new favorite player, so I'm excited. We're talking to Chris Harris Jr. You got it.
you know, the owner of the Broncos, Pat Bowen, passed away last Thursday after a long struggle with Alzheimer's, and you tweeted, RIP Mr. Bowen and prayers up for the family, end quote. As somebody who's been with the Broncos since 2011, how would you describe his impact on that team and that organization, and even to you personally? Man, uh, Mr. Bowen is definitely, you can tell he's definitely one of a kind, and uh, he he was all in on football. He That's a, that's one thing you can tell is that that's all he cared about was his team, his players. I remember being a rookie, seeing him every day. He would come in our trainer trainer's room. He'd be at every practice. He would meet with the trainers, want to know how everybody who's feeling good, the injuries, things like that. And uh, he'd be very in tune um, with what was going on football wise. So um, I think that's what that's what everybody um, probably loved about it, is that he was so involved. Appreciate your thoughts on him. Chris Harris Jr., my guest. All right, so I mentioned off the top, you're hosting the Chris Harris Jr. Underdog Academy. It's in Bixby, Oklahoma. It's June 22nd. What's it like for you to go back to your old high school and see kids who were so hyped to meet you and work with you? And when you were playing at Bixby, was that always the vision, or maybe has this exceeded it? Man, it, it wasn't the vision at that time, man, and it definitely exceeded it. Uh, being to come back for my fourth year, having it there, um, We've been selling out uh, 400 kids every year and being able to just have an impact on that community is something that I always wanted to do and um, and just continue to just uplift them. Uh, so it's hard to live in Oklahoma, man. People don't understand. It's not too much to do. Uh, it's, easily to, it's easy to uh, get in trouble and uh, get off track of your, of your goals. So I just try to keep me focused and, and kind of get my head started. Right, so I've got to know, when it comes to the Underdog Academy, how much of it is about technique and how much of it is about mindset? Yeah. Uh, it's both, man. We try to um, strain them tiredly, make them get tired, and uh, see how they can uh, think, why, why they work, and how we give them instructions on how to do a drill. Or, or um, Then you also have to work, work as a team. Uh, we do a lot of team bonding stuff. We have... Um, a bullying, um, a bullying, uh, and um, section there, a grouping where we put all the kids together, and they have team activities that they have to do there. So we, we try to make it all all in one, and, uh, and also give them life goals. Excellent. So if people want more information, where would they go to get it? Yeah, uh, you can go to chrisharrisjr.com, dot com, and uh, we have all the information on there, and uh, be able to uh, check out. All- all the uh, stuff that I'm doing with the community. And uh, this is just one aspect of what we're doing. Um, definitely have a big year set up coming up for Denver. Good. That is the Chris Harris Jr. Underdog Academy. It's in Bixby, Oklahoma. It's on June 22nd. He is a Denver Broncos corner, a Super Bowl champ, and happy birthday, Chris. Good to have you back. Thanks so much, man. Talk soon. Oh, yeah. No problem. Thanks for having me. Because if you look at Danny Ainge and the Celtics, they had all the pieces that they needed to make that big swing for Anthony Davis, but they did not pull the trigger. And the thinking is they didn't get it done because they think that Kyrie Irving is gone. I mean, it does make sense, right? Given that he declined his player option for next season and that everything seems to point to him going to Brooklyn. And then there was the report yesterday that the Celtics might meet with Kyrie before the draft this week. Then came another report. And honestly, this is one of my favorite Kyrie Irving-related reports ever. Like, if you were to ask me once again, my 10 favorite stories over the past 10 years in sports, 
Kyrie is probably in half of them. Check out this beauty. Reading to you directly from the Boston Globe, quote, The strangest part of the Irving situation right now is that it appears he has essentially ghosted on the Celtics. The people within the organization I've spoken with have made it clear they have had little, if any, communication with Irving in recent weeks. End quote. Bam! That is so good. In other words, Kyrie, the friendly ghost, friendliest ghost you know. The friendliest ghost you know, skin horribly bright, pasty white. Kyrie, the friendly ghost. Kyrie Irving ghosting the Celtics. That's one of the best things ever. Throwing around the phrase on brand is pretty fashionable right now. But is there anything more on brand than Kyrie ghosting his team? Well, actually, there is. Because it's the same Kyrie Irving who said back in October, and I quote, I shared it with some of my teammates, as well as the organization and everyone else in Boston. If you guys will have me back, I plan on re-signing here next year, end quote. Then he talked about how, quote, I have every intention of signing with Boston next year. I do have a dream of putting my number 11 in the rafters one day. If I'm so blessed to do that, I've worked my tail off. Obviously, a lot of great players have come before me, but to throw my name in Boston Celtics tradition and history is something I'm glad I can do, and I'm planning on doing so. He went on, quote, honestly, thinking about starting over was just a bleepy thought. Honestly, It just was like, man, I do not want to move again. I do not want to uproot my family and just be dealing with everything new again. No disrespect to other organizations, but here was a perfect fit, end quote. Now, remember, this is a guy who forced his way out of Cleveland one year after winning a championship because he did not want to play second fiddle to LeBron. Then he gets to Boston. Then he gets hurt. Then he watches them go to the conference finals without him. Then he comes back. Then he makes them worse. And now he's ghosting them altogether. I mean, this is absolutely awesome. One of the all-time great arcs ever. Even for that flat earth truther. I mean, not only would it appear he's not going to stay like he said he would repeatedly. Not only is he apparently going to leave, but he's ghosting them altogether. Like, reportedly ignoring all communication. Not handling it in any way like a pro or even an adult. Like, nearly every athlete that I've ever known has said the same thing about coaches and management and ownership. Just shoot me straight. Just be straight up with me. I'm a big boy or a big girl. I can deal with bad news. Look me in the eye and give it to me. Treat me like a pro. Virtually every athlete that I know and have ever known feels that way. Except apparently Kyrie, who if this report is to be believed, is nowhere to be found. You can't find what you can't see and you can't see a ghost. In other words... Kyrie, the friendly ghost, friendliest ghost you know. Kyrie, the friendly ghost. And for all you oldsters, and if you're not following this, let me help you out. The famous UD, Urban Dictionary, defines ghosting as, quote, 
When a person cuts off all communication with their friends or the person they're dating with zero warning or notice beforehand, you'll mostly see them avoiding friends' phone calls, social media, and avoiding them in public. End quote. Perfect definition, as always, from the UD. Second definition includes this line. Quote, many attempt to justify ghosting as a way to cease dating the ghostee without hurting their feelings, but in fact proves the subject is thinking more of themselves as ghosting often creates more confusion for the ghostee than if the subject kindly stated how he or she feels, end quote. So in this case, Danny Ainge is the ghostee and Kyrie is the ghoster. So what do you do? What do you do? Well, you probably go check the ghoster's social media for hints. Maybe he's going to leave some hints there, right? Well, let's do that. Let's check out Kyrie's Instagram. The latest post is an edited package of clips, which includes a lot of different people talking about him. And then Kyrie talking about how he has shied away from social media. Uh-huh. Because nothing says you've shied away from social media like a heavily and elaborately produced video package and an elaborate post on social media about how you're shying away from social media. And one that comes with a very long quote from Mother Teresa. So that's really not going to help Ainge. Then there are a couple of posts about his family and then this one. Quote, Hermetic Friends. Inc., my light brothers and sisters, the age of no more secrets is upon us. World peace will be achieved in our lifetime, and we better bleep and believe it. Let them have the fabricated bull bleep. That genuine love and energy spreads all over the world. I see all. I am. End quote. Man, that is an absolute masterpiece. That is the Mona Lisa of social media posts from a guy who is shying away from social media, putting out just a bunch of words and thinking it's profound, like just tossing up that word salad, saying, look at me, I'm profound. I mean, this is a guy who wants to be a leader of a team. This is the guy who wants to be the face of a franchise. And he's forced his way off one team after another. And this time he's ghosting his way out. Man, that is awesome. Truly awesome and absolutely without doubt 100% on brand. Oh, and awesome. Kyrie, just do you. Man, just do you. Just know this. Don't think for a second that anybody is fooled by this or impressed by it, but just do you. In the meantime, for the rest of you, all together now, Kyrie, the friendly ghost, the friendliest ghost you know. Kyrie, the friendly ghost. Have fun with that, Brooklyn. He's your ghost now. Allegedly. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, you will get better parts, better prices every day. And we'll have the parts that you need to get the job done right. Stores are stocked with high-quality parts and accessories at guaranteed low prices. And the store's well-trained professionals are standing by to help you out. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Gary Woodland is my guest. Gary, it's great to have you on. How are you? I'm great, brother. That all sounded pretty good. I like that. Dude, I bet. I bet that sounded great. <laughs> so what have the last 36 or so hours been like for you? How has your life been since you won the U.S. Open? It's been hectic. Um, 
we had we had a good time. You know, obviously a lot of meeting when I got done, but we had, had a lot of friends and family there. We had some good times uh, Sunday night afterwards, and then on a plane to New York and doing a little media tour today. But it's been it's been good. It's been a whirlwind. But I'm excited to get back home and and see my kid when I get home tomorrow. Yeah, I can't wait to talk to you about that, Gary. You know, I wonder, you win a major, and especially with the U.S. Open, it's the kind of thing that every golfer dreams about. Does it feel the way you thought that it would, or have you not even had a chance for it to sink in yet? No, because, you know, you dream, like you said, you dream of winning. You you don't dream of what comes afterwards. And uh, I, I always said I was more nervous after that last putt went in than I was all day. I was pretty calm, but I was just nervous with everything that came with it afterwards. It was it was a special, uh, memorable day for sure. Gary Woodland joining us. You know, Gary, there's so many moments from Sunday and the four days overall that I want to ask you about. But when you yourself look back on that weekend, what are the moments that stick out to you the most? Really, my, my the mental side of it. Obviously, the golf side. I've played. I've had good weeks where I've played great all week. But the mental side, I was able to handle the pressure, the atmosphere, just the iconic being at the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, everything that came with it. I was able to handle that. Like it was, I mean, it wasn't easy, but I handled it like it was, uh, wasn't as big as the moment was. And, and that's what I'll, I'll remember, how, how good I was in that. We were talking to Gary Woodland. He won the U.S. Open. I mean, I want to be very clear about that. I mean, it's not like you did not face challenges from other guys. Brooks Kepka, the two-time defending champ, started out on fire. He was staying right with you on the back nine as well. But you never really opened the door for him. How aware were you of what he was doing? And how good does it feel to know that you did come through when it mattered most? Yeah, I was very aware. Was, he was in the group in front of me. The roars were, were loud. I mean, especially he got off to a hot start, you know, birdie in the first. Um, you know, and people, you know, the fans were, it was obviously later in the day, they had a couple pops, I think, and they were excited and, and making some noise. And you could tell there were definitely a bunch of people out there rooting for Brooks. So it was, it was important for me to get off to a good start as well. Unfortunately, I did that to kind of weather that storm early and just really never let him, catch me to a point where if I kept putting pressure on him, I knew he had to do something special to catch me. And um, he's obviously played phenomenal golf over the last couple of years. And that's the moment he lives for. And I was glad to come out on top. Gary Woodland joining us. Now you had those couple of early birdies that you pointed out. And then on the back nine with that one shot lead on 14, you hit that now legendary three wood from 263 yards out. The safe play would have been to lay up, especially with the lead. So what made you go for that shot? And then what kind of emotions were you feeling when you saw how well it went? Yeah, you know, my whole life I've, I've been an aggressive player, you know, known for my length. And that shot was probably the first time all week that I actually considered playing conservative. I, I just saw Justin Rose lay up. I, I knew where that pin was. I know left's not a great spot. I know right's out of bounds. Um, and it was my caddy's decision. He's the one that said, let's go. This is a perfect three-wood. Let's play aggressive. I mean, that not only gave me confidence in that shot, but that gave me confidence the rest of the way that my guy has confidence and I can pull off the hardest shot we've had all week. And I could do that, you know, with ease under the most pressure. And that was that was really good for me going forward. And then going forward, you had that moment on the 17th green where you're roughly 90 feet from the hole. Again, it felt like a really tough spot to be in. What was going through your mind at that point? When I hit the shot off the tee, I knew where it was going. I, I knew it was in a, a not a great spot. I, I Fortunately, I had to chip off that green from the exact same situation earlier in the week to a different pin. But I had hit that shot earlier in the week, which I think helped me in the moment. Um, I was. I actually saw Brooks miss his putt on 18, and I, I didn't know if it was for birdie or for eagle, but I knew at least I would have at least a one-shot cushion. Um, I was just trying to get it past the hole, and it came off perfectly. I had a little check on it, a little 10 feet short. I thought it had a pretty good chance to go in, but 
that's one I definitely don't want over again. Gary Woodland joining us. Gary, was there ever a moment either after the shot on 14 or the chip on 17 where you thought, man, I've got this. I'm going to be the U.S. Open champ. Or did you not allow that to go into your head until you drained that 30-footer on 18? I've, I've been in a situation before, and I just didn't let it happen. You know, Earlier this year in Maui, I had a three-shot lead going into Sunday, shot five under, and Sanders Softly shot 11 under and beat me by one. So I've been in a situation before where I've been caught from behind, and I wasn't, I didn't allow myself. Even, I think, when the putt went on the last hole, I let a lot of emotion out, especially for me on a golf course. It just all came out that I knew it was over with. You know, Gary, you made the point a few moments ago that the thing that you thought about most in retrospect was how locked in you were mentally, how good you were mentally. Man, it's such a tough thing to stay that locked in mentally in the face of all that pressure. How were you able to do that on Sunday? Uh, past experiences. You know, I, I, my record, had I, I'd heard about it all week. I was 0 for 7 with a 54-hole lead. Um, I'd heard about that. And I, I took a lot from playing with Tiger on Sunday last year at the, uh, Belle Reve. The, I got distracted by the outside noise the energy everything kind of got to me a little bit you know he's shooting 64 he's going low making a charge at brooks kepka and i kind of got caught up in what was going on around me my goal was to go in with a positive attitude take care of what i can control and that's myself and and everything else will will be fine and fortunately i was able to do that right so you mentioned family those who are familiar with your story know how much father's day means to you your son jackson was back at home with your wife gabby and he's getting ready to celebrate his second birthday shortly your father don though was with you at pebble beach what did it mean to share that day that experience with him yeah very special you know my my rookie year 2009 my dad had a heart attack when i was actually playing at pebble beach um and so you know you fast forward 10 years later and now I'm playing the U.S. Open on Father's Day at Pebble Beach. My dad's standing there when I'm finished making the winning putt. I mean, it, it doesn't get any better than that. It was, it was special for us to share that moment together and then being a father myself. I mean, that's something I look forward to sharing with my kid for a long time. I mean, how does that get any better? And then there are the legendary <laughs> stories about you and your dad competing against each other on the way up. You went on to play college basketball. I think most people know that story. It's clear, though, your dad had game. How was your dad's game, and what were those battles like growing up? It was hard. He was a lot bigger than I was. So, you know, my dad, he actually signed to play to play baseball and football out of, out of high school, and he ended up not doing it. He decided to try to play professional baseball. It didn't work out. Um, but my dad was very competitive, and he never let me win growing up. You know, his whole deal was you got nothing in this life given to you. you got to earn it. So there was a lot of battles, a lot of crying. You know, I'd, he'd beat me. He'd, he'd foul me. He would do all kinds of stuff. I'd run into my mom, and she'd send me right back out there. He I think he took a lot of joy out of it, and then it wasn't as fun for him anymore, but I wouldn't change that for anything in the world. I'm not, I am where I am today because of the way my dad raised me. Yeah, and how good was that time, that day when you first beat him, the first time you beat him? How good was that? Oh, I, I mean, I was calling my grandma. I was calling everybody I could. And I don't think he talked to me for a couple of days, but it's, it's something we laugh about now. He wasn't enjoying it when it happened. Um but it was special. You know, like I said, it's something to lesson I like to teach my kids that, you know, nothing in this world given to you, you got to earn it. Gary, before I let you go, there's no way I can talk to you and not ask you about Amy and the amazing moment the two of you had at the Waste Management Open earlier this year. What do you remember most about that experience? I mean, how special is she? I mean, her energy, her, her love for life, her love for people around her. I mean, that's what this world needs. And I, I took so much from that. Her positive attitude is so contagious. Um, and I was, you know, her big line is, I got this, I got this. I said that a million times on Sunday, and it uh, definitely helps me out. Now, you FaceTimed with her from the media room after winning the U.S. Open. You spent some time with her again on the Today Show this morning. What was that experience like? 
it was awesome to see her again because I, I talked to her on the phone, but I hadn't seen her in person, um, you know, since Phoenix. So it was so cool to see her this morning, hold that trophy with her, give her a big hug. Um, she's a special girl and look forward to talking to her for a long time. Hey, Gary, before you go, I talked to Alan Shipnook on Monday, and he said that he was in the tap room when you came in, and he said that Jordan Spieth was there and JT was there, and the two of those guys, in effect, welcome you to the club, the Matrix Club. What was that like? That was awesome. You know, it's, it's awesome, you know, to go out there and beat your peers, but when they could be there to celebrate you, um, they were there when I finished on 18, which was awesome. It was nice, you know, Jordan had drank out of the cup before, so he, he taught me how to do that, and we had a good time uh, Sunday night for sure. So what's the adult beverage that goes into that trophy on the best day of your golfing life? We had some vodka in there pretty quickly. Um, unfortunately, we didn't know how to get the top off, so we were drinking it as a bottle. <laughs> That's you great. You just got to take the top off. You think Spieth would have done that because he'd been there for he had it for a year, but um, we had a we had a good time. It still went down. I can tell you. Yeah, dear, right. And act like you've been there before because you have been there before. Come on, Jordan. What's up? Pick me up. So last thought, Jack Nicholas made the point that your life is going to be completely different now because of what happened on Sunday. People will treat you differently. Let me ask you this. I mean, you're one of the all-time good guys on tour. Do you feel any different as a golfer or as a person after doing what you did? No, I don't. I mean, I have a long way to go on my golf. I, I came competitively to this sport late in life. So I, my game is trending in the right direction. I'm getting more complete, but... My life's really going to change. I have identical twin girls on the way. Um, I have three kids and two and under. So that's going to change, you know, from a lot. From i got to be able to manage my time and manage things around me. But that's what, you know, I have good people around me that support me through that. And I look forward to being a father of three. I was going to say, how excited are you for the twins? Yeah, I need to make a lot more birdies. I can tell you that. <laughs> it's the lowest 72-hole score in six U.S. Open to Pebble Beach. He is the... 2019 U.S. Open champion, Gary Woodland. Gary, so good to have you on the show. Congrats, and really nice to chop it up with you. Awesome, Jim. Always, always good, brother. Let's get a telephone call in. We go to North Carolina. Reed, good to have you. Reed, how are you? Van Smack. Romy, what a thrill. First time, long time over here. Just wanted to give a toast to you and the jungle as we approach Smack Off freaking 25. From the days of JRIB to CBS Sports Simulcast, Jay Stu on Good Morning Football, Alvy and all the XR4TI. Cheers to this radio program and all the clones across America. Remember, give me an A or give me an F. I'm going to shut up and listen. Go Tar Heels. Rack me. You got it, Reed. Thanks so much. And most of all, I thank you, but so does Jay Stu for that shout-out for his outstanding work on Good Morning Football. Big Daddy Beaks. Beaks, what's going on? How you doing, buddy? How you doing, bud? Oh, I'm doing great. On vacation, man. So I'm all is well. Hey, this this rant's for a uh, longtime clone, uh, uh, Lewis in Palmdale. He's been held up in a hospital the past two weeks, man. Listen to Jungle. So, hey, get well, buddy, so we can see you on Dana Point on Friday. So, from the truck stop Dan was born at to the man cave Jeff in Richmond, dancing around wearing fake WWE belts to the cream cheese of my jacuzzi. It's smack off 25 week, y'all. So, Jim, a question was asked in the, in the smack off 25 promo, and it was, who wants to walk with Jeff in Richmond? Which really means, who wants to walk on a treadmill? Or who wants to join Weight Watchers? Or who wants to walk Jeff because he's a bigger lard ass than me or Caleb? Who wants to walk with Jeff? It's easy. Let's see. 
hobos, greasy hookers, the bag lady at Walmart, cousin it, definitely not Jeff's wife. Oh, and don't don't worry, I, I didn't sleep with your wife, Jeff, because we'd be up all night. Oh, and I forgot one. Jeff in Southfield's creepy uncle will definitely walk with, with Jeff in Richmond. And then speaking of Southfield, dude, you're the mumble rapper of the jungle. We barely understand a word you say, brah. It's always blah 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 The one coherent word you said is Fonzie. And you need to keep dude's name out of your mouth because uh, Beaks, you're a mess, brah. You're all over the place. Let's go to San Antonio. Chino, how are you? What's up? Man, I'm doing so good. You, you can't get on Beaks that hard, though. He's just pumped up. He's so excited. Everybody's so excited, man. It's like smack-off week. There is no excuse for missing the show this week, clones. you got to do what you got to do. Listen, take a lesson from Kawhi. What did that guy do? He took an entire season off sick so he wouldn't miss the show. He's committed. You need to be committed. And with so many golden ticket holders throwing their phones in the ring this year, Rome, I thought I'd just help him out a little bit, you know, let old Uncle Gino give him some help. But then I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know, to be fair, who am I to offer advice on how to win a smack-off? I mean, the best I ever did was come in third on two different smack-offs. I'm no Brad. You know, I'm no Lef. I've wasted years trying to carefully craft rapier-sharp commentary into high-quality smack, and where's it got me? Nowhere. Brad just rolls out of bed and farts in a phone for three minutes wearing the same thong he's been wearing since preschool and cranks out win after win. Ah, I'm just so stupid, Rome. I got it all wrong. I'm burning pots of coffee trying to formulate reason tangents when left has proven that a one-hour helicopter rental and a head scriptwriter is the key. I mean, how long is it going to take me to figure this out? You just need... A good gimmick. You know, that's the thing. Brad plays the blue card. Left farms out his calls. Vic goes mad lib on Coppola and Scorsese movies. You just need that one thing. Perfect example, Romy. Look at all the screaming Jeffs in the jungle. I mean, you've got your Jeff in Richmond, godfather of the Jeffs. you got Jeff in Southfield, the up-and-coming Roy voicer. And then there's Jeff in Buffalo, loves to scream. They're all working that constipation angle. You know, the my lower and upper intestines are so impacted right now, I literally can't alter my voice in any way other than to scream angle. And it's working. These guys are doing great, better than me, but they all have little subtle differences between them. For example, see if you can guess who this is. Jim, I've got a dime for a while and a luxury sled. All right, which Jeff was that? Do you think it was Jeff in Richmond? No. That was Jeff in Richmond's script but it was the patented Jeff and Buffalo painful hernia voice technique, all right? One more. Which Jeff is this? Caleb, you psychopath. You eat American cheese? Really? <laughs> now, who'd you guess? Jeff and Buffalo or Jeff and Southfield? See, trick. It was Jeff and Southfield's script, but that was actually Jeff and Buffalo's exploding IBS voice method. You see the differences now? My point is, I've wasted so much time in how I've been calling it. I mean, sure, universally being respected as one of the best callers to ever sell show, it's comforting. And for some people, that might be enough. But if you really want to earn the praise from the knuckle-dragging crowd out there with the carnivorous upper cavities with loose isotopes running around, you're going to need more than clever commentary and witty wordplay. You're going to need to get into the impacted polling business, something to give you that extra edge. Plus, their fake voices are disease-proof. They could all have strep throat on Friday, and nobody would ever notice. It's brilliant. So... 
anyways, that's my advice, noobs. Don't aim too high. Play to the mob. But if you don't think that you can scream your way through an entire phone call just to draw attention to yourself, I don't know. Maybe wear a lavender belt to work. Just saying. See you on Rome Friday. What the hell? Let's go again. Let's go to Barstow this time. Mark in Barstow. It's good to have you, Mark. How are you? Hey, Rumi, the friendly ghost, the friendliest host you know. What is up? What's up, man? Hey, I just want to say how pumped I am that the smack off is one day before my birthday. And this is one clone that is celebrating early. I'm going down to the local Walmart to pick up an AM, FM Walkman and the finest batteries that money can buy. But my big present will be listening to the smack off. Again, I don't want to be the big buzzkill. I don't want to be the big wet blanket. I don't want to be the cooler. I don't want to wreck any of your buzzes because it's the big week. But while you're at Walmart, pick up a new phone or some Boost Mobile, something. We are joined by head coach Craig Barubi. Craig, it is so good to have you on. How are you? Thanks, Jim. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. It is so good to have you on. It has been six days since you and your guys won the Stanley Cup. What has it been like celebrating with them and the city of St. Louis? Well, I mean, it's it's crazy, that's for sure, but a lot of fun. You know, that parade was something else to see. Um, you know, just all the fans and how happy and excited they were. I'm, I'm really happy for the city and... Uh, Again, to be able to, you know, celebrate with, you know, the team after the win there. And it's great. I was so happy for our players. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a grind. As you know, winning that cup, it takes a lot. It takes some luck. And, and it's, uh, it's a lot of work. No, I do know that. I mean, I don't know that. But my opinion is it's the biggest grind there is in sports to win the Stanley Cup, to go like every other night for a month. And every single period, every single shift, everything matters. It is the ultimate grind. Now, you played 17 years in the NHL. You played in some cities that absolutely love hockey, Craig. But you've said that St. Louis is the best hockey town you've ever been around. What is it about that city and those fans that make that town so special? Well, passion for sure, and just to see the passion and just, you know, I've been there for two years and uh, just to see the support that that town gives uh, the hockey team well, and also sports town in general, the Cardinals, obviously. But, uh, you know, they're just passionate fans that uh, they, they, they were hungry for a winner and just to see how excited they are. And, you know, I've been in Philadelphia where the fans are obviously very passionate, uh, great sports town in itself. But there's just something special about these fans in St. Louis that I really believe. They're really loyal, loyal fans that are very passionate. Craig Barubi joining us. So go back to Wednesday night. You're up 4-1 in the third period. When the final seconds are ticking down, you know you're going to be Stanley Cup champs. What's going through your head? What are those moments like at the very end? <laughs> well, when it, we've got a 4-1 lead and there's still two minutes to go. You're still grinding in your head because you don't, you know, you just can't take anything for granted. So the only, you know, once, you know, the few seconds go down and everybody's jumping in the air and everything, it's just, it's a great feeling, but it's also relief too that you won, you know, and um, they kind of go hand in hand for me as a coach. You know, I think for the players it's different, but as a coach you're always grinding and, you know, the pressure of, uh, you know, trying to deliver that championship. But, uh you know, it's obviously a great feeling for sure. I, you know, it's hard to describe that feeling uh, just 
again, a lot of relief, but enjoyment at the same time. You know, Craig, I wonder, you've been an NHL head coach before, and I'm guessing that you were looking to get another opportunity, but nobody ever dreams of taking over as an interim coach after a friend has been let go. When you took over, how did you go about making sure that everybody was on the same page and ready to move forward, and most of all, not to give up on the season? Yeah, well, I, you know, it takes time for sure. Um, uh, we had to we had to do a lot of maneuvering with players and things like that and get them in the right place. But I think the biggest thing was just trying to get these guys on on the same page on the ice and playing for each other. It took a lot of meetings. It took a, a lot of tough meetings with players, individuals, with you know, team itself. And uh, it's just we're as a coaching staff, we just wanted to stress that we won't go anywhere unless we really pull together and start working and playing for each other on the ice. As you know, all good teams, they gotta, they got to want to do it for each other. And once that started to come in December at some point, we really started to feel good, but we weren't getting enough wins until Bennington came in, obviously, and really solidified that goaltending position. And that's when we went on our run. Blues head coach Craig Berube joining us. I mean, it's amazing to me that you were able to get that culture together as quickly as you did. And again, nobody's bigger than the team. That was kind of the whole point you were trying to make. So I don't want to single anybody out, but because you mentioned him, Jordan Bennington was an absolute legend in the postseason. And time and time again, including Game 7 on the road in the Stanley Cup Final, how do you describe what he's been able to do as a rookie between the pipes? Um, It's amazing for sure, but Again, when I look at, he came in and his first game in Philly, he won. I just thought when I watched him closely, just mentally he was in a good spot. He he never got too high or too low. And then when the, a couple losses came, he rebounded all the time. I think it was he let things go. He did a good job, you know, mentally letting things go. Or if he won, didn't get too high. Kept his mind even keeled. And, you know, went out there and played. And, and the same thing in the playoffs. You know, if, we, if he had a loss, he'd let it go, move on. And then, again, I thought his best game of the playoffs was game seven. And that's when we needed him to be his best. Craig Berube joining us. You know, game seven is really something, right? I mean, you've got a chance to close this thing out at home in game six against Boston. That didn't go so well. But instead, you bounce back like you had all season long. You go on the road and you dominate a really tough, experienced Bruins team in their house in game seven. Knowing how the team had bounced back time and time again, did it feel like maybe that was the perfect ending for this group? Well, it did, to be honest with you. I thought game six... uh just my feeling before the game you're just a little bit edgy because of what you know if, when you're you're coming into the arena and you're seeing all the fans down there and everybody's thinking you're going to win the cup tonight it's a it's a, a lot of pressure i thought on our players and i thought that we didn't seem exactly right before the game and i was a little concerned with you know you're you, you're you, if you don't win you're, you're letting the whole city down that's the way you feel um so it was a lot but you know, we didn't we didn't get off to the start we wanted to, and Boston got the lead. And in that series, the lead was really important for both teams. When they got the lead, they seemed to win. So it didn't work out in Game Six. But I thought our guys were almost, you know, the next day they felt relieved and ready to go for Game Seven. I felt they were calm and in a good spot. So I was I was pretty excited about Game Seven. I wasn't worried at all. I knew we'd come out and play hard. And uh, again, Bennington really played well in the first period. Kept, it, kept us in there, and we ended up getting a couple goals, and we are in a good spot. 
Yeah, Craig, you came so close to winning a cup as a player, so you know about the battle. How much of success in the NHL postseason is about physical skill, and how much is it about physical and mental toughness? Yeah, I believe it's a lot about mental toughness and physical toughness. And you know, we we keep we uh, we we talked about mental toughness a lot once we took over as a coaching staff. Um, how important it is for your player players to be mental tough, mentally tough, and let things go and deal with um, adversity. And we had to deal with a lot of adversity for sure, uh, getting into the playoffs, but also in the postseason. But it's a grind, like I said, and you got to be mentally tough and physically tough. And we were both in the playoffs, and uh, you got to get some puck luck, which we did. And you know, now we're champions. Yes, you are. They can't take that from you. Listen, before you go, some of your teammates who played with you over the years have some legendary stories about you, both in practice and in games. But the other thing that comes up isn't just about your toughness and your competitiveness. It's about your head for the game, your mind for the game. Who are the coaches that you learned from the most when you were coming up? Oh, there's a number of them. You know, I played for a, a bunch of real good coaches. I played for Mike Keenan my first few uh, years in the league. So, you know, he, they all have their own little, um, you know, thing, the way they coach and what they preach and stuff. So I guess, you know, my opinion, you know, I probably took a lot from everybody, you know. Um, I was around Ken Hitchcock a lot uh, throughout my career, junior, hockey, pro, and then coached uh, alongside of him in Philadelphia. So he had a big influence on me um, about how he, how he does things, and he's a very successful coach, obviously. Um, I got a lot of good friends, Rick Talk at Dale Hunter, uh, that I really talk to a lot about hockey. They're both great coaches, and I played with both of them as teammates. So I had a lot of good guys around me throughout my career that I learned from. Boy, Talk. Talk was one of my favorites. I loved him as a player. I loved having him on the show back in the day. He was such a quality guy in the room. But, I mean, Craig, Mike Keenan, I mean, what a fierce, <laughs> fierce guy he was. What was he like to play for when you came up? You, you better be on your toes, I'll tell you that, because he would do things from out of nowhere that uh, he always kept you on your toes, and especially if you're a young guy. And he was hard on you, but at the same time, I thought he was pretty fair for the most part, but you had to be on your toes all the time. you know. And if you weren't, he didn't play. End of story. He didn't give you another chance till later on. You were out, and that was it. So it made you be ready to go and made you be on your toes right away as a young guy. And then, Craig, finally, you mentioned what it's been like the last few days in that town, in that city, with your guys celebrating it all. You know, when I think about all-time blues greats, one of the first guys that comes to mind is Brett Hull. And Hully, as you know, went legend at the parade. One thing for you, Craig, listen to this. Glory, 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 glory. <laughs> I think I got your number, glory. I don't know, man. Craig, when I think about this guy, when, when he was doing it, nobody was doing it better, man. Holy was the ultimate sniper. But then when I see him do that, I think that might be his most legendary moment. How about the legend going legend the way he did? He was, uh, he put a clinic on for a few days. <laughs> he's not a very good singer, but he's a hell of a goal scorer. That's the way I look at it. Oh, one of the best ever. One of the best ever. Craig Berube is the head coach of the St. Louis Blues, 17 years as a player. He's got his Stanley Cup. Craig, I really appreciate it. Congratulations. Have fun with that, and really good to have you on the show. You got it. Thanks a lot, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for doing it, Craig. Appreciate you. Congrats. You have Hedstrom Bacon, who tweets all the time, and you have this guy, George a.k.a. Pool Doc in San Antonio. I can't wait to hear this.
George, what's going on? What's up, Rome, Van Smack? How you doing, brother? Dude, yeah, I mean, lay this out for me. Literally, are there three guys running that site? And if so, how long have you been a part of that site? I've been a part of that site uh, pretty much since the beginning, Rome, somewhere around 2009. Uh, and, yeah, we helped Steve out a lot. He does everything wrong. As far as getting paid, I hadn't seen a dime, but it's all fun. It's all about the jungle. It's all about you, bro. Um, I just wanted to real quick say that we are going to have our post-smack-off show. And, Rome, there's a lot of podcasts, a lot of shows after the shows. And, the, you know, we usually get some the legends and we get the callers from the show. But I like it when we get the clones, bro. I like it when we get the folks that, like me that never call, that have a take. That, or I don't know if I have a take, but that never call. <laughs> And just hear their opinion about you, about the show. And we do this, we've done this for nine years in a row, brother, nine years. So, George, you, you've you been working on that site since 2009. This literally is the first time you've ever called this show. Yes, sir. My man. <laughs> George, how Bad long? Smack, how the long? respect to the jungle that I have is incredible. I'm nervous right now. I just don't want to mess anything up in the no, jungle. No, 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 bro, bro. I don't bro, want to I, do anything to, to hurt George, the show, George, Smack. That's what right? it is. Dude, I got you. You sound great. You're awesome. You have nothing to worry about. How long have you listened to this show? Uh, I, I started on the second Smack Off, Van Smack. Um, I didn't get to hear JT. Of course, I heard that afterwards when I you know, started doing what we do. But uh, I've been around in San Antonio. Uh, you, we used to get you for eight hours with the gorilla. Um, and I, we were listening to all eight hours, Van Smack. Oh, that was so good back in the day. My man Andrew Ashwood would be hooking me yes, up sir. in San Antonio. So, George, if people listening right now want to listen to the post-Smackoff show on Stucknut, where do they find it? How do they do it? Well, uh, Van Smack, we, we do it through the Periscope app, and we start at the top of the hour to respect your, your sponsors. Uh, so just, just go to Stucknut.com. You'll be able to find it. We'll be everywhere. And we're going to be going until they stop calling, Rome. I'll go two, three hours. I'll go as long as they keep calling. They keep wanting to talk about the show. I figured it was a way to come down off the high that is the smack off, Rome. So we've been doing this for about nine years. And we let everybody just come back down and get back down to normal before they send, we send them back home. All right, so, George, who normally calls? Do, does anybody who calls during the smack off call and recap their calls? Rome, the only one that really haven't had call in was Greg in Vegas. Silk has been a, um, a friend of the show for all, all ever since I've, I've been doing this, Rome. Uh, we've had everybody um, uh, except for you. I've just been too nervous to, to ask to talk to you. But, um, you know, we've, we've had all the legends have called in. We talked to Trapper. Terrence, Terrence was incredible. Uh, this is just them being them. And like I said, we, uh, uh, well, I'd like to, uh, you know, those guys driving down to, to the Hennessy's uh, in Dat Point. Man, give us a call. We'll talk and we'll hear what's going on. I wish I could be in SoCal, Rome, but I'll be in H-Town with the, with the Specknet crew. Even uh, uh, Headstrom's coming in from, uh, from up north. Hey, George, we're talking to George, a.k.a. Bulldog. Listen, bro, I would love to have you here in SoCal, but somebody's got to run that show. Somebody's got to host that show. <laughs> somebody's got to hold it down, so you got to do your thing. So just so everybody's clear on this, you don't need to be in the smack-off. If you're listening to the program or you have anything to say about the smack-off and reaction, they should call your show, right? You're talking to everybody Rome I want to talk to I want to talk to the people that 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 you know that never call or, or just I want to hear their take Rome uh, I love it it's you know it's like you know it's like kind of like a, like a way to get your message out and not do what I'm doing right now you know freaking out talking to the king of the jungle but um, you know, I'll take anybody and everybody's call room, and I'll stay on the air as long as they keep calling, brother. All right, so, George, bottom line, who is going to archive this call that you just made for the take box? Is it you, Bacon, or Steve? 
It would be uh, uh, Steve, sir. You got it. Oh, dude, you can't sir me. George, you did it, man. You, sorry, made, you, got, you got the plane down. Rack him. Atta boy, George. Way to be. Way to be. He's been listening since we did it. George did it. Good night now.